Good morning. And a uh, special shout out to all of those who are at home, bundled up warm, joining us online. Uh, we're grateful that we're all getting to worship together today and uh, looking forward to opening up God's word. How many have ever heard someone say, well, that's not my job. I, I wonder if it's maybe at work with one of your employees or a coworker, and a task comes up and it's like, I don't want anything to do with that one. That's not my job. Or, or any parents or grandparents in the room when, uh, I don't know, the dishes need to get done and from the living room couch you hear, it's not my job. Or, or maybe it's out on, uh, like on the rink with your team where, where somehow this guy got left wide open in front of the net and then you're staring at your team after he's just scored the game-winning goal and you're like, who was supposed to? It's not my job to be covering him. We've been journeying through the last while, the book of Acts. And uh, one of the themes that's coming up over and over and over again in this book of God's word is the theme of evangelism. The, we, we see example after example after example of people going out and, and preaching the gospel, going out and proclaiming the good news that, that God sent his son into our broken world, that Jesus lived the life we can't live. He died the death we all deserve to die. He was raised to life. Repent and believe and be baptized. We see that coming up over and over and over again, right, in these pages as we've been studying through this book of Acts. And when it comes to that topic of preaching the gospel, proclaiming the good news of Jesus, doing evangelism, very often we have that same phrase come into our minds. Well, it's not my job. That's not my job for any number of reasons. I'm, I'm not very quick on my feet, eloquent with my words, very good at answering people's tough questions. It's not my job. You know the stage of life I'm at right now, right? I've got so many things on the go or the circle of people I interact with now at this season of life is not very many. It's, it's not my job. I'm a, I'm a lot better at serving behind the scenes. I'm a lot better at doing the, the behind the scenes stuff than, than talking to people. It's not my job. Or, or maybe it, it's like, you know what? I, I agree evangelism is a really good thing. It, it's an excellent thing for people to hear about Jesus. That's a, I'm all for sending out brothers to go, sisters to go on mission trips around the world. I am all for Alpha. That's fantastic. And that's for someone else to do in the room. It's not my job. Today, we find ourselves in the book of Acts. I invite you to grab your Bible out. If you brought it with you, great. If you didn't, Nearby in uh, the seat back in front of you, you can grab a copy. We are going to be in Acts chapter 8. And we're going to be spending our second week journeying with a guy named Philip. And, and I would argue that if there is anyone in the New Testament who might be able to make the argument to say, you know what, evangelism is a really good thing, 
sharing the gospel, great idea, but it's not my job. If anybody could say that, I think Philip, who we are going to journey with today, could say that. He could say so easily, you know what? Although I agree that it's a good idea, it's not my place. It's not my position to preach. It's not my job. We are introduced to Philip, as you might remember, last week. We first came across Philip really briefly in Acts chapter 6. Acts chapter 6 was where the church was booming and people were radically giving and there was this, this problem where the looking after the food distribution of the widows was falling through the cracks. And so we read in Acts chapter 6, So the twelve gathered all the disciples together and said, It would not be right for us to neglect the ministry of the word of God in order to wait on tables. And so, church, brothers, choose seven men from among you who are known to be full of the spirit and wisdom, and we will turn the responsibility over to them, and we will give our attention to prayer and to the ministry of the word. And so this proposal pleased the whole group. They chose Stephen, a man full of faith, and the Holy Spirit, also Philip, and then it goes through the rest of the seven. So our first encounter with Philip is he is one of these seven who are chosen because the apostles needed to make sure, as it, as it says right there in that passage, we need to make sure we don't neglect our ministry of prayer and the word of God. That is so important that the word gets preached so we need to get these seven together to look after the food distribution for the widow so we can make sure that happens. Do you see why I would say, if anyone could say, it's not my job to preach, it would be the guy who was literally given the job to make it so other people could preach. Do you see what I'm saying? It's not my place or position to preach, Philip might say, you would think. But what we're going to see in God's word is that's not the route Philip takes. That wasn't true for Philip, and it's not true for you or I. Because although we might think at certain points, it's not my place or position to preach, God has people and places for you to reach. Although you might feel like and think, it's not my place or position to preach, God has people, and God has places that he intends to reach through you and I. Our text begins Acts chapter 8, verse 26. Now an angel of the Lord said to Philip, Go south to the road, the desert road, that goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. As Philip finishes up in the Samaritan town with the guy we were talking about last week, the crazy sorcerer Simon dude, an angel miraculously takes Tom's talks to Philip and says, I I've got a place and some people that you need to reach, Philip. So you need to go down, go south to the road, the desert road that goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. Now it's interesting, isn't it? He doesn't say, God doesn't say to Philip, now go back to Jerusalem, to the task that you were given in chapter 6. 
Well, you might say, well, of course he doesn't say that because there's all kinds of persecution going on. Okay, well, it's interesting that he doesn't say, okay, go and travel around the countryside making sure all the widows who have also scattered are looked after too because that's your job, Philip. It's interesting he doesn't say that. He says, I want you to go down and stand along the side of the road in between this, this desert wilderness road between Jerusalem and Gaza. Wait, wait a minute, what? You want me to go where? You want me to do what? Like to internalize this kind of message. Ontarians, here's how you might think about this. God comes and says to you, I want you to travel to Sudbury and then go like 50 clicks west and wait along the side of the road. And if you know your Ontario geography at all, you're like, that's the middle of nowhere, right? Like there's nothing 50 kilometers west on the Trans-Canada from Sudbury. You're going into the middle of nowhere and go stand along the side of the road. Why on earth would you do that? That's not what I'm supposed to do. That's not where I am supposed to go. That doesn't make any sense to me. Some of us are like, you know what? The place you're nudging me to go, God, like it just doesn't make any sense. I'm, I've already got this sense of where I'm supposed to serve. You know what? I, I'm already serving in my family at home. Isn't that enough? I'm already helping, I don't know, like in the nursery, rocking babies to the glory of Jesus so the family's parents can be up here. I've already got my place to serve. I'm already sorting clothes on Tuesday mornings to be able to help those who are in our community who are going through some tough times. Okay, that's great. There's nothing wrong with any of those things. But what if, what if the Lord wants to nudge you into something more? Because he's got some people and some places that he uniquely wants to use you to reach. That's what he's nudging Philip towards. Verse 27. So Philip starts out. He starts out. He goes to the, the middle of nowhere, stands along the side of the road, along this desert road in between Jerusalem and Gaza, and wouldn't you know, on his way, he met an Ethiopian eunuch, an important official in charge of all the treasury of Candace, queen of the Ethiopians. In the middle of nowhere, standing along the side of the desert road between Jerusalem and Gaza, this entourage carrying this really significant runner of the whole Ethiopian queen's treasury happens to be caravanning along the road. Do, do, you, do you realize Ethiopia is 4,000 kilometers away from this place right here? This guy is in the middle of nowhere a long way from home. But it's exactly where God had told Philip to go stand. It's exactly where God had told Philip to go stand. And it gets even better than that. Verse 27 continues. This man had gone 
to Jerusalem to worship. And on his way home, he was sitting in his chariot reading the book of Isaiah, the prophet. The Ethiopian official has traveled 4,000 kilometers from his home to go to Jerusalem because he's curious about the Jewish God, to worship God, and he's trekking home in his caravan, and get this, with however much of a posse he's got, he's sitting in his caravan, and the word here is he's out loud reading the prophet Isaiah to his whole group that he is driving with here. He is reading out loud the Bible. Just think about that. Then the Holy Spirit told Philip, go to that chariot and stay near it. Do you see what God has just done here? Do you see what God is orchestrating in this event? See, not only does God prompt Philip to go to this place that seems so strange. That makes no sense. Why would you lead me to stand along a country road out in the wilderness between Jerusalem and Gaza? There's nothing there. But not only does that happen, but then the exact spot that God leads Philip to go is exactly where this really important Ethiopian official's caravan is crossing. And they just happen to crisscross at the exact right spot. But this Ethiopian eunuch is not just happened to be traveling along the countryside. This is an Ethiopian eunuch who's running the whole treasury of the queen of Ethiopia, who's curious about God. But not just is this Philip happens to be in the right spot crossing paths with the Ethiopian eunuch who happens to be traveling along this road, who also happens to be curious about God, but he's reading the Bible at that exact very moment. See, some of us here, when we think about evangelism, when you hear me say, God has people and places for you to reach, the thoughts that come into our head are this like overwhelming sense of like pressure and obligation. Like immediately some of you like get a nod in your stomach. You're like, okay, here we go. Another guilt trip evangelism sermon about how I need to. And and what you hear as soon as I start into this sermon is you're already thinking I'm going to say you need to conjure up people's interest in God. And it feels like this giant weight upon your shoulders. I need to force conversations to happen at work with my friends, with my classmates at school. I I need to feel this pressure and guilt. I need to pique their curiosity. I need to be eloquent and agile with my words to be able to find any turn that is possible to jump into the gospel. And, and, And I have certain people in my life who I desperately, desperately want to come to know Jesus. And, and I need to carry the pressure of that. And that's where you think I'm going. That's not where I'm going. What we see so clearly here in this text, did did Philip conjure any of this situation up? Did he? Is this Philip's grand workings out here? 
Is this Philip's wisdom and eloquence? Is this Philip's man? He is just like the powerhouse evangelist, or he is so extra, uh, extroverted and, and such, so well-spoken and outgoing. And such. Is that why this happened here? No, th- this situation is all going down because God orchestrated the whole thing. God moved all of these pieces together. God moves Philip. God is working in the Ethiopian. He crisscrosses their paths at exactly the point where he's reading the Bible along this desert road. This is all God. Now, I understand there is a sense of onus. We all who are followers of Jesus should feel that we are to be witnesses. There is a sense of obligation and burden that our friends and family and coworkers and even complete strangers we run into are lost without Jesus and we need to go and tell them, yes, but here's what you need to know. The pressure isn't on you or me to change their hearts. The pressure isn't on you or me to force the conversation to happen. The call is to open our eyes and see where is God working? I remember a number of years ago, I used to work in a church in Niagara. And I remember one Sunday standing in the lobby after the service, and this young guy, 30-something, walks out of the auditorium, and he was just like standing there, and he had this like dazed look. Like very visibly almost shaken as he walks out of the service. And so I, I walk up to him, approach him, introduce myself. We start chatting, and fairly quickly, this guy starts just sharing his story. He just needed to get it off his chest. He, he, had, he had recently, in the last couple years, moved to St. Catharines. But, but his life had just, like, all of it. Job, life, relationships, like, all of it had just, like, fallen to pieces. Life was a mess, and he was struggling deeply. And, and I can't remember, it was either like the night before, the Saturday night, or it was that very morning, Sunday morning, he was in the shower. And he's in the shower, he's telling me this, and I heard this song that I didn't recognize, like I, I, I didn't even know it, didn't know that I knew it, playing in my head. And then I had this so distinct burden upon my heart you need to go to church. This is what he tells me. And he's like, I haven't been around church in like decade. I've walked away from all of that. I'm only a couple years in St. Catharines. I don't know any churches in town. I don't know any, like this is so weird. So I just this morning got in my car and started driving. And I saw a sandwich board out on the corner saying there was a church service in the high school. So I walked in the door to the service and I snuck in the back row and then you guys started singing music and the song you sang was the song I heard in the shower. What is going on? (laughs) This is the conversation in the lobby he's saying to me. I'm like, This was like the lowest hanging, easiest evangelism conversation I've ever had. I'm like, dude, it seems like God might be trying to get a hold of your attention. See, there are people like that in your circle where the Lord is working. 
You, you don't need to force him to start working. You need to say, let me have eyes open to see where you are working, Lord. Let me have faith to join you where you are working. Now, make no mistake, it's not everybody that that's happening. And, and here's one of the real struggles. It may not be at this particular moment that person you really want it to be happening in. Now, that doesn't mean that you don't continue to love and pray and lean into opportunities if they would allow themselves to come up with that person. But maybe it's not where you thought it would be back in Jerusalem, looking after the widows. Maybe it's somewhere different along the side of the road with this random Ethiopian guy from 4,000 kilometers away. But maybe God is working. No, 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 let me say that again. God is working in people around you. Do you have eyes to see? Now, here's a quick little tip I've noticed. Not to see this as like formulaic, but there's two things in particular I have noticed that often are like little like ding, ding, ding moments for me that are like just kind of like Philip, where it's like, oh, I'm going to kind of come alongside the chariot of this person's life right now, okay? Because, because often, hmm, when these things are going on, there seems to be a lot more proclivity towards an openness to God and the things of the Lord. Number one is, crisis. Number two is transitions. I have noticed that often people who are going through crises, just lost a loved one, just lost my job, my marriage is falling apart, I'm really in the midst of the pits right now, addiction is hitting me so hard, on and on it goes, whatever crises you might think of, often in times of crises and often in times of transition. New season of life, new job, new town, new home, new neighborhood, new whatever it might be. Often those two times are like times in people's lives where it's like, oh, I'd be kind of open to this. So here's a little tip I've noticed. When, when you have your eyes open and you're praying and you come across at work, beside the hockey rink in the stands, interacting with a buddy at school, in your neighborhood as you're walking the dog, a complete stranger, and you hear someone going through crisis or you hear someone who's going through major transition in life, maybe we should be like, hey, Kate, I'm going to like come up alongside and just pray and just listen and start to see, hey, God, what, what might there be going on as an opportunity? And maybe there's other things too. I'm not saying those are the only two things. I'm not saying it's a formula where that's always the thing. But have our eyes open to see where's the Lord working. That's what Philip does here with Ethiopian. We read in verse 30. Then Philip ran up to the chariot and heard the man reading Isaiah, the prophet. And he asks him, do you understand what you are reading? The Ethiopian says, well, how can I? unless someone explains it to me. So he invites Philip to come up and sit with him. The Ethiopian was reading this passage of Scripture 
He was led like a sheep to the slaughter, and as a lamb before the shearers is silent, so he did not open his mouth. In his humiliation, he was deprived of justice. Who can speak of his descendants? He, for his life was taken from the earth. That's a quote from Isaiah 53, verse 7 and 8. Okay, so again, you got to catch what's going on here, Bethel. Not only does Philip lead, does God lead Philip to this random place on the side of the road where it happens that an Ethiopian leader is going along with his entourage who happens to be coming back from Jerusalem having just gone there in curiosity to worship God who happens to be reading his Bible in the book of Isaiah but at that time he's reading Isaiah 53. Now, I don't know if that tracks anything for you, but Isaiah 53 is arguably the most explicit Jesus prophecy in the entire Old Testament. At this exact moment, he's reading Isaiah 53. Are you kidding me? This is incredible what the Lord is doing here. Inviting him up. Can you tell me what this is all about? The eunuch asked Philip, tell me, please, who is the prophet talking about, himself or someone else? So Philip seizes the opportunity. And then Philip began, verse 35, with that very passage of Scripture and told him the good news about Jesus. And we don't know exactly what Philip says here to this man, but surely he explains to him that this, this scroll that he is reading was written hundreds of years ago pointing to Jesus, the Savior who would come. The Savior who is going to come because our world is deeply broken by sin and death and we need rescuing. The Savior who's going to come and fix it all by giving up his life as a sacrifice, just like the sheep that was giving up his life as a sacrifice that you went and saw that sort of stuff going down in Jerusalem at the temple, but an even greater sheep than any of the animal sacrifices. This man was going to be the sacrifice. He was led like a sheep to the slaughter. He was deprived of justice. He was humiliated as he hung on the cross in the city you were just in a few months ago. He was killed and his life was taken from the earth. As that end of that verse you just read said, I wonder, does he pop back? Like, hey, just read the verse before the one you just read to me, which says the Lord has laid upon him the iniquity of us all. Or, or does he say, hey, just go a little bit further down in the scroll, a couple more lines to listen to verse 11. After the suffering of his soul, he will see the light of life and be satisfied. And by his knowledge, my righteous servant will justify many because he will bear their iniquities. He will die, but he will be raised to life, overcoming sin, death, and Satan. And guess what, my dear friend? All of this went down with Jesus of Nazareth in Jerusalem just a few weeks ago. The very place that you were 
where God has then been pouring out his Holy Spirit and sending his people all over the countryside and landed me standing beside the road for such a time as this. This is what Isaiah was talking about in those verses you just read. This is the message, the good news of Jesus. Imagine with me, though. Do a little thought exercise. Imagine with me, though, if Philip had landed along this spot in the road and he had thought, you know what, it's not my place or position to preach. What, what if in this moment, Philip lands beside the side of the road and sees this really important, prominent entourage of a super high official in the Ethiopian courts and is like, you know what, I, I'm not wise and smart enough to be able to talk to this guy. And just sort of cowered back. I don't have enough of the answers. I, I'm just a widow food distributor. That's all I'm called to do. Uh, imagine if in this moment, Philip hears him going by on the chariot, reading the prophet Isaiah. And I mean, his thoughts would surely be like, wow, that's so cool. This guy from 4,000 kilometers away just came back from Jerusalem. How encouraging is that, that a royal official from Ethiopia is interested in the things of God? And look, he's reading the Bible. That's pretty cool. Praise God. This was a moment for me to praise God to see how he was working. And he just stood back. What if, what if Philip did that? What if, what if Philip was like, man, this guy seems like he's doing fine. He's doing fine financially. He's doing fine in his job. And he's got the Bible and he's reading it. He's surely good, right? Isn't that how we often land ourselves in the thinking that says it's not my place or position to preach? That very logic? Whether you, whether you think about the classmate at work, classmate at school, or the, the coworker at work, or the neighbor down the street, or whatever. Man, you know what? Like, they seem to be doing fine. They're, they're a lot smarter than I am. I don't, I don't really think I'm going to be able to answer the questions that they're going to have. Their whole life seems to have it all together. And I mean, how many times have I heard her mention about, about God? and praying for people. She seems to be a good spiritual person. She's fine, right? How, how, how many times have I, have I heard about their family who seems to have like pretty good morals? They seem fine. I, I don't need to go and preach. I don't need to be so presumptuous as to step in. I don't have all that it would take, and that would be audacious and arrogant of me to try to push it, wouldn't it? It's not... My place, it's not my position to preach. I'll just, I'll just be a good example. That's all I need to be, right? Don't we use that logic? I remember a number of years ago here on an Easter Sunday. Easter Sunday, 
preaching the good news of Jesus. He died and he rose again. Give an invitation for people to come forward if they would like to give their lives to Jesus. And this guy comes forward that I, I, I never would have thought. I, I was thinking of the guests. I was thinking of the, the family members of the family members who come just at Christmas and Easter. Up walks this 70-year-old man who had been coming to our church for years. He says to me, I want to accept Jesus. I said, pardon? Yeah, you, the, what you just explained, what you just preached, I mean, I, I've been around church for years. I've never given my life to Jesus, though. He was, he was serving in different parts of our church. He, he'd been coming for a number of years. If, if memory serves me correct, his background had him almost his whole life growing up in a different denominational tradition, but, but around church, he knew the stories, he was singing the songs, he was doing the stuff. I mean, I, I'm pretty certain if memory serves me correct, he was in a small group at our church. Never given his life to Jesus. Just like the light bulb just came on. Today, I need to accept Jesus. And here, when we used to have pews, we sat together and he gave his life to Christ. Now, here's the kicker to that whole story. Not just me, but many were like, what? When this story started going around. I, I, I thought he's been around. I just, I just never thought to ask the question. He's at church every Sunday. I never thought to probe where's his heart really at. He's serving and helping in this little way. I never really thought to, to push the envelope in, in small group or whatever it was. I just assumed. So at this moment, let me just say to you here, I've got no assumptions of you. And I'm not just talking about the guests. We've been for a couple months. Maybe you've been coming for decades. Have you personally surrendered your life to Jesus Christ as your Savior, as your Lord? Not just have you been around church. Not just are you a good person. Not just are you checking off the religious boxes. Are you spiritual? Do you talk about God in prayer? Have you given your life to Jesus of the Bible who died for your sin, confessed, I need a Savior because I am sinful and dead and I give my life to Jesus? If you haven't, and you're here, I'm thrilled you're here, and I'm thrilled you've been here maybe four decades, and today could be the day for you. And when you think about the people in your life, the question is not, are they nice people? Are they spiritual people? Do they even talk about God? Do they have a nice family? Do they do good morals? The question is, have they been raised to life by faith in Jesus Christ? And imagine what would happen 
if because we just assume they must be good, we just stand back and don't preach, don't proclaim, don't say how amazing and wonderful Jesus is. We would miss out, perhaps, on the sort of things that we see here Philip gets to be a front row observer to. As they traveled the road, verse 36 says, they came to some water and the eunuch said, look, here is water. Why shouldn't I be baptized? And he gave orders to stop the chariot and then both Philip and the eunuch went down into the water and Philip baptized him. This is incredible. The Ethiopian is like, you've been telling me about Jesus. You've been telling me how he's the fulfillment of the Old Testament. He's the savior of the world. I give my life to him, Philip. Hey, look, there's some water. Can we stop right now? I want to get baptized at this very moment. Stop the chariots and in front of all of like however big his posse was here everybody who's around in that instant he's like I'm going to declare I'm a follower of Jesus and get baptized right there to stand up and say I'm with Jesus it's incredible how the gospel changes people it's incredible how God uses his servants who just faithfully run to the opportunities to reach the people and the places that God has for them to reach. The enemy wants you and I to believe it's not my place or position to preach. It's not my place to urge my friend to get baptized. It's not my place to encourage this person in small group to start living for Jesus. It's not my place to invite someone to Alpha. But that is actually exactly how God works. He is uniquely putting people in your life that no one else is interacting with the way you are. And it is your place and my place to preach because God has people and places for us to reach. When they came up out of the water, the Spirit of the Lord suddenly took Philip away and the eunuch did not see him again, but went on his way rejoicing. Philip, however, appeared at Azotus, which was another town just up the coast northwards and traveled about preaching the gospel in all the towns until he reached Caesarea, which is another town even a little further north. The eunuch gets baptized and then goes on his way, rejoicing in the good news of Jesus that he has heard on a random road as he rode his chariot home from Jerusalem. Miraculously, the Spirit of God sends Philip off up north to keep preaching. Lives are being transformed in every different direction, and all of this could have been missed if Philip had said, it's not my place or position to preach. It's not my job. Could have been so tempting. Oh, it's so tempting for us. I've got my place where I'm already serving over here. Isn't that enough? People seem fine. They don't need me to say something. I'm not super articulate or eloquent. Good answering questions. I, I don't have the spiritual gift of evangelism. I'm just a fill in the blank. Whatever that would be for you. It's too weird to go over there 
to that place. It makes no sense to me why I would be prompted to go to Costa Rica or Quebec or whatever it might be. That just seems crazy to me. No one really seems interested. All of these things might lead you to think, it's not my place or position to preach, but God has people and places for you and I to reach. He does. The Lord is working, even right now, and he has people and places for you to reach.